Hello, you're listening to the Adams and Hayes podcast, the podcast where two blokes who should really know better try to make health and safety a little less boring. This week we have a mental health special as the 10th of October is World Mental Health Day 2023. Um, So we're recording this after World Mental Health Day. The day after. We're we're not too bad. We're, We're in and around the actual day. Yeah. But it's an important thing to focus on for sure. So um, should we get into it? Yeah, sure. So first of all, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. And those of you that know Anthony will know that he's moved on from um, the company that we were both working for together um, to a new adventure. Um, And it's really exciting for Anthony, but it has been horrendous without you. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. It's been really tough. Um, But it's also it's also been good. Um, There's a couple of people who are already stepping up to try and fill your very big shoes, um, which is really nice. Um, But also, yeah, it's been bittersweet. It's been nice to kind of um, encourage other people and and try and sort of show them the ropes of what we do. Um, but also it's, it's bittersweet because I don't get to work with you anymore as closely as yeah I did before, which is sad. Yeah, the, the feeling is mutual. Uh, kind of really excited for what's coming up. Uh, but yeah, kind of miss working with you already. Um, it's only been like a fortnight. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, in all fairness, I was in Greece for the first week of your... <laughs> you, were. There, so... you were. <laughs> that probably helps a little a bit. A little bit. Um, How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. It's um, It was quite weird because when we started kind of recording or just before we started recording you turned around and went this is the first time I've seen your face this week which is so weird um because <laughs> normally you're the first first face I see on a Monday morning um work related anyway um yeah you see your wife first it depends what mood she's <laughs> in uh, but, <laughs> but yeah um so yeah um it, it has felt a little bit weird not working mm. with you uh but we're, mm. we're obviously still going to stay in contact I mean We've got a podcast today. We do. <laughs> Apparently a very successful podcast. Are we calling it very successful? I mean... I think it's certainly more successful than we thought it was going to be. I'll go with that. Um, I, we, I, I went on... Um, I, I'm, do you know what? That's unfair. So I was looking at the statistics and the episode where we had Melissa on. And if you um, if you haven't heard that, we would definitely recommend you go and listen to it. <laughs> it's got way more hits than any of our other episodes. So I think like the message from that is Melissa made our podcast better. Yes. Um, but yeah, we're, we're averaging like uh, there's a hundred of you that listen on average to each episode, which is so exciting. So after yeah. you know, some interesting stats. That but, is really um, good. And you're right. I think Melissa brought a different dynamic, um, which which is kind of why we're looking to bring more guests on. Um, the yeah, next definitely. episode that we do, we've got a very special guest. We do. No spoilers on this. Um, no spoilers on this pod. I need to send them the joining instructions, so you might need to nag me tomorrow to remember to do that. Not but, a problem. Yeah, not a problem. Really excited we, about. We did promise them. <laughs> Melissa didn't yeah. get joining instructions. Melissa no, was just thrown in. <laughs> You just sent her a link at uh, whatever t- whatever time of the evening you sent the link to her and went, oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Right, should we get into um, World Mental Health Day? Yeah, sure. So um, we all have mental health. Um, we all experience it in different ways. So by educating ourselves, I think we can put our own experiences into greater context. By doing mm-hmm. so, you can build your understanding of how mental health affects us all, how it affects your friends, your family, and those who work alongside you or people that you manage. So mm. I thought what we'd do is run, th- run through a few facts and figures, and we'll kind of discuss what that fact and figure means to us. Um, how's yeah. that sound? Yeah, that's good. I just wanted to pick up on one thing that you said right at the start there, which is that we all have mental health. Yeah. And I think we've got better. I think uh, as a society, we've we've got on a bit of a journey of changing the language that we use around mental health. But for a long time, and when I first did my mental health first aider training, which would have been over 10 years ago now, it would have been a, a long time ago since I've done that. So that's exciting, even that that's been going for such a long time and people will really recognize that. I did my mental health first aider training at a point in time where people didn't really understand that mental health was something that we all had and actually it's not something that we need to be ashamed of 
Um, and it's not necessarily a negative thing. We all have mental health and um, it's in the same way that we all have physical health. It's just that when we're suffering or when we're unwell, it can become a lot more noticeable that there's that health is there um, because it's in a, a poorer state. So I just, I think that's such a, a great way to kick off this section is, is really hitting that point home that we all have mental health. We've all got it. it. It's something that we all live with and we all have, whether we're aware of it or we understand it, it is, is another thing. But yeah, such an important point to make right at the top of the yeah, yeah. show today I, is that we've all got mental health. I think there's so many organizations and people out there that are really kind of bringing this to the fore because mm. um, physical health has it's kind of been known about for a long time mm-hmm. where mental health doesn't seem to have been known for as long. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. one impacts the other quite a lot of doctors will say uh, they want to be able to prescribe exercise for people because if you look after your physical being that can improve mm-hmm. your well-being and your um your mental health and that and there's some sorry there's some really exciting stuff there so um i always get really frustrated when we start to talk about these subjects because i think that there are looking after your mental health and i don't want to derail it because i'm going to look at some of the the stats in a moment but it is so much harder to look after your mental health if you are in what is known within the social care sector as living in an area of um, multiple indices of multiple deprivation. So an area where you've got more than two or three different elements that could affect your ability to um, earn a certain amount of money that then you are able to spend on things like gym memberships and um, healthy eating. Well, I get so annoyed when people talk about healthy eating. And I think, you know, you look at people like Jamie Oliver, who've made it really accessible, but a lot of healthier food is more expensive. Yeah. Um, and the, the reality is that there are ways around that. Um, and there are, you know, there are things that people can do, but one of the things that people then have to do, and this is going back to a conversation we had with, uh, Melissa is around, um, how sustainability is that cheaper food is often wrapped in plastic. So then those people are being told, oh, but we also have to look after the environment. And if you have lots of plastic, then you're contributing to climate change and that's not good for people's thing. So the fact that doctors and now I've gone on a bit of a ramble, but the point is that when doctors say, I wish we could prescribe exercise, a lot of the time what they're saying is, I wish we could write a script for this person so that they're not at a financial disadvantage for being able to access exercise. Because actually some of the exercise that people need to access is quite expensive. Um, And that's, you know, there are a lot of things that go into exercise. It's not just stand up and go for a run. You know, people can go for a walk, that's great. And people should go for a walk, even doing that, you know, it doesn't have to be this major thing. But it's been really something I've seen that's really positive is that doctors now can they say prescribe exercise but what they're really doing is allowing people that would not be able to access exercise because of their economic circumstances to be able to access exercise for health reasons which i think is a massive win because it's not just good for physical health but it's it's like you say it's good for mental health as well yeah yeah definitely um i've been listening to dr wrong and chatterjee's uh, feel better live more podcast series um and if you want to know more about the connection between physical health and mental health. I'm definitely going to signpost you to that. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the first um, stat that I've been able to come across is every week in England, six in a hundred people will be diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. So for those that don't know, generalized anxiety disorder is where people feel anxious most of the time. Mm. So that's six in a hundred people. And that's, weekly people are being diagnosed Hmm. that's i mean the next statistic's really interesting in that because when you do the next statistic you've put here is i'm sorry spoiler alert (laughs) 60 percent of employees are experiencing anxiety yeah so the thing that's jumped out straight at me there is people are experiencing anxiety without having a diagnosis and that's something we need to be aware of is that you can experience the symptoms of an illness without having a doctor saying you're ill I don't know how I feel about that stat. Six and a hundred. In in England, weekly, only twenty-five percent of employees, so in the workplace, are seeking mm-hmm. mental health support that are men. Yeah, okay. So yeah. 
so yeah, if you kind of put the two together, uh, that that original stat of six and a hundred people, like you said, the only people that are getting diagnoses, where there'll be loads of people out there that aren't. That that sounds not great in itself, but actually, when I, I say I don't know how to feel about that stat, because when you actually think about the fact that you're then looking at sixty percent of employees <laughs> in the in England yeah. that are experiencing anxiety, you're like, well, where the, the math doesn't add up there. So there are a lot of people not not necessarily getting the diagnoses which is yeah that's actually something that hadn't occurred to me before mm. was the difference between people with diagnoses and the actual symptoms okay so what about this one one in six adults in the uk are experiencing depression and 56 percent of employees are experiencing symptoms of depression yeah yeah it doesn't make good reading does it no I mean, there's there's quite a long list of stats here. I think the next one again is really jumps out at me. Um, well, actually, the next two. Well, all of them do. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, that's why gonna... I picked them, Dan. <laughs> okay, go. <laughs> right, go for the next one. So, women are twice as likely to experience depression than men, mm. and the most common cause of stress is work-related stress with 79% of people saying that they frequently experience it. So that's the best part of 80% of the UK workforce, UK or England? Um, I think it started off as England, but it's moved to UK. Okay, so 80% of the workforce in the UK struggle with work. 80% of people at work in the UK are stressed by their work. So, yeah. I think the stats um, in their current form kind of paint a bit of a picture for us. Are mm. we doing enough in the workplace to manage stress and anxiety? If that stats accurate, as accurate as as it looks, yeah. the best part of eighty percent of people are struggling with stress at work. I, I think we could probably end the podcast there. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, no, I don't think we are doing enough. Um, but it, it reminds me of a conversation I had with um in a previous role, one of our delivery directors. Um and there was a lot there was a lot of stuff going on and I was having a conversation with a delivery director, um, great guy. Um, really got on with him. Um sort of straight talking, knew what knew what he wanted to do, and, and he did care about health and safety. Um and I think a lot of the time people get tired with this brush of well we don't care and I was having a conversation with him because we we were being asked to do something daft by the client they wanted us to wear um pink flamingo um tutus or something while we were doing the work I'm being I'm being flippant but (laughs) um and I said to him I said our biggest risk isn't the thing that the client's worrying about our biggest risk is stress yeah and and he agreed went yeah yeah yeah." and he turned around went Dan, the, the thing is, I just, I don't know what to do about it. And I think a lot of people feel like that. I think a lot of directors are really aware that stress and anxiety is a problem and go, what what do we do about it though? Although we all have mental health, not everybody's mental health is the same. Not everybody lives the same 24 hours. We've all got very different 24 hours. So that becomes a real challenge as a director or as a manager of how do we look after people's mental health when when you talk about physical hazard, like work at height, will you buy everybody a harness and you make sure that they're clipped on? And obviously you're supposed to do all the, you know, eliminate the work height in the first place, but you do the same thing for everybody. And there might be a little bit of nuance of like, you know, somebody might need a specialist harness or, or somebody might need, but, but generally you're going out to market and saying, we need some harnesses. Yeah. It's not like that with mental health. It's really difficult to get it right with mental health because not everybody has the same brain which is why we're so good as a species we're so brilliant as the human race because we're not all the same because we're not carbon copies of one another um but that does obviously present its challenges it's probably a long way to answer your question but um no i don't think you're doing enough i mean yeah in order to summarize that from a risk perspective it's easier Mm. to manage a physical risk that you can see Mm. than try to understand an unknown risk that even even Mm -hmm. the person feeling it might not know what's going on so if they can't articulate that you can't come up with a method of right okay 
let's approach this like any other risk. What can we do to minimize that? Do you need mm-hmm. flexible working hours? Do you need reduced working hours? Do you need um, a block in your calendar where you just need to just not do something for a while? Mm. Where Stuff like that for some people might work, but others, mm. they might turn around and go, if you put up that block in my calendar, I'm going to have to work late because that work's yeah. not going anywhere. I've still got to get it completed. But I think it, it's kind of getting to the point, isn't it, that it isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. No. You need to effectively canvas your workforce. You need to find out where the pressure points are. You need to speak to people. Be humans. Yeah. They might be doing work for you. You mm. might be doing work for them. Mm. But they're humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we could change health and safety to like something like human care in the workplace okay, or something like that where you're like we're our job is to take care of human beings i mean there's That's already going to be people listening to this podcast going but this is a hr issue uh and and the hr representatives will be turning around and going that's why we've got a safety team yeah exactly and i think you know you've hit the nail on the head there and actually when you look at companies that do mental health really well they're integrated the hr and safety teams are integrated that doesn't work for everybody again it's not one size fits all I mean, some things need to be in-house. Some things can be outsourced. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not going to... Not every organisation is going to have a cut-and-paste stress policy or EAP or or whatever it is. It's not going to be cut-and-paste. The people that are listening to us now and that are on could be really struggling. Um, and I hope, like, as we go into this kind of here are some of the things that we do and here are the, some of the things that you know an employer could do in terms of taking a bit of a self audit of the company um could do to kind of help out i hope it gives you some language yeah if you are struggling to be able to articulate some of the stuff that's going on um that that's kind of my hope for the next 15 20 minutes is that we can give you some language to kind of articulate hey this is what's going on and actually this is what i need help with um particularly if you are in that 79% of people who frequently experience workplace stress of maybe having some language to express to your line manager or your employer or your HR or even a mental health first aider at work and say, look, this is actually what I'm struggling with. Because I think one of the things that I've always found is that as I've gone on my own journey with my mental well-being and neurodiversity to some extent as well, when I can put language to things that helps me own it and that helps me move through it, two things that help you manage your stress and anxiety anthony yeah so the first one is easy for me i enjoy jumping on my bike whether it's cycling outdoors or cycling indoors i i just enjoy the the movement whatever increased heart rate all the rest of it so that kind Mm -hmm. of physical exercise for me um i can tell if i haven't been on the bike or I'd normally walk my son to school in the morning and I go and collect him again in the evening. And I, I walk up and I walk up intentionally. I've, I've got a car. I could just jump in the car. It's, it's a mile away. But for the sake of my health, for the sake of my son's health, and for the sake of the environment, I shouldn't be making that journey in a car, right? Mm. If I don't do that walk or I don't do that bike ride, I can tell. Mm-hmm. Not really from kind of an addiction perspective, but more of a, I do kind of get increased levels of anxiety if I haven't done that. Mm-hmm. I'm anxious that have I broke the chain of habit? Am I mm-hmm. now not going to cycle again or am I not going to walk again as in to school? I don't mean at all. Um, so yeah, for, for, for me, the main one is physical exercise, mm-hmm. going out for a walk or getting on the bike. The second one is I like to write things down. Not Mm. so much journaling. I've tried journaling previously. Not really for me. What I ended up doing was effectively just coming up with jobs lists, which is definitely not journaling. Um, Mm -hmm. I I actually bought a specific journal. I think it's called Zello. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I bought a specific journal and it kind of asked you, what do you want to achieve by the end of the week? What do you want to achieve by the end of the day? How are you feeling right now? Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I didn't have the time to do that. And if it was mm-hmm. important to me, I would have made the time to do it. Mm-hmm. But it, 
I suppose it kind of was drowned out with everything else that was going on. Mm. But everything else I still write down. So if I have a conversation mm. with somebody, odds are I'll be sat there writing. And mm. I'm writing key things so that if I'm asked or if somebody else says, what did you, what was that conversation about? I could turn around and go, well, I've got my my massive notepad in front of me. I'll tell you exactly what it was about. Mm. So yeah, just just kind of writing things down means they're not stored in my head. If they're not stored in my head, I'm freeing up my head for other things, which a, a lot of other things are taking priority in my life right now. Mm-hmm. I can't have the work stuff bouncing around. No. Where I'm going, oh, hang on, I've got that to do, or I've got this to do. What yeah. I tend to do is text my work phone from my personal phone. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um. When I was at the previous company, the company where you are, I had it. Sometimes you text me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I had it. I had all my work stuff on my personal phone. Yeah. I'm not making that mistake in my new place because mm-hmm. I did find it really hard to switch off. Mm-hmm. Somebody contact. In fact, somebody sent me an email while I was on leave mm-hmm. and I sent them a response instantly and they turned around and went, what are you doing? You're on leave. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I find it hard to shut off kind of thing. So I'm not doing that in this place. So I've come up with a kind of a mechanism of I can stay on top of things by, right, I've just thought I need to do that tomorrow. So I send a text mm-hmm. from my personal phone to my work phone, knowing that when I turn on my work phone in the morning, I'm going to get that text. It's going to remind me and I'm going to do that. Yeah. So it's not just writing things down during conversations, post conversations. When something comes to mind, I get it out, get it, yeah. get it out my head, send myself a reminder so that I know that that task is going to get done and I don't need to worry about whether it's, whether I'm going to remember to do it or not. I I think that's a really interesting and probably quite useful. And I'm going to try and remember to do something similar of if you have thoughts outside of work about work, text your work phone and then deal with it in the work day. Because there are a few times where I've like, we've, we got a WhatsApp group for the podcast and I'll send you a message being like, I'll just dump it in there. And then you're like, what's this? And I went, it's, it's literally just for me to remember. Mind dump. Yeah. Um, but then if I'm sending, cause the way that my brain works, I'm like most active at like half past 10 at night. If you're trying to get Alexander down, that's probably not the most helpful. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, actually maybe it's slightly different because you know, you, it, it's me probably not honoring your, thing but in my head i'm texting a group and you you know you turn your whatsapp off but actually being aware of that of okay actually is there another way i can record that so i can remind myself to send it in the morning yeah i mean i do kind of have a bit i don't really like calling them hacks because i don't feel like it's a hack it's in fact it's certainly not a hack because it's exactly what it's designed for so most Mm. people use microsoft outlook as their Mm -hmm. their primary email um service other services are other services are available we're not sponsored by microsoft however they've come up with an app called to do yeah to do automatically talks to your mailbox so you've got your your email view your calendar view or your task view you set up tasks on your phone so if you go and this is what i did when i worked at the place where you work i jump on my personal phone which had my work stuff on it i jump Mm -hmm. into tasks and i write the task down Mm-hmm. knowing that when I got to my mailbox in the morning, not only did I have the the kind of incoming mails from people wanting stuff from me, I had my calendar view so I could plan my day, but I also had the tasks that I remembered the night before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was just a way for me to just get everything out. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to worry about it. That reduces my anxiety and I feel more ready for the next day. So what about you? What two things do you do? So in in typical i say typical me fashion i don't know if people would need to know you for that to be typical my mind to be quite you know full on so um crossfit is amazing um i think it gets a bad rap um and i can understand why particularly for people's knees i think doctors um, give it a bad rap and say we've never had so many injuries until crossfit became a thing <laughs> um but I think it, like all all types of exercise, so rugby again was something that I played for a really long time. Um, I can't play rugby anymore because I 
had too many concussions, so now I need to do something else. Um, and that's fine. So I play touch rugby, uh, which is brilliant. Did all those concussions lead to you doing CrossFit? Because that <laughs> no, no, that's so rude. That's so rude. That is so rude. Um, I apologize to all the uh, CrossFitters so... out there. Great. So I just a little shameless plug for my CrossFit gym, which I can't actually go to at the moment because I broke my um, I broke my hand recently, um, and I'm still waiting for it to heal, so I can't do any heavy lifting. Um, but we got a great, great CrossFit gym in Nottingham called CrossFit Comet, um, and the coaches there are brilliant, and they're just really chill. They don't they do push you because obviously you should be pushing yourself, um, but they explain everything really well, and I think that that's one of the things that makes the difference between people who might feel a little bit anxious about going to CrossFit the people who jump into it is actually the people that run the gyms because it there are with all types of things it can be quite cliquey and it can be quite um culty i think is probably the language that gets used and i probably sound like i'm trying to convince you to join a cult i'm not you know you need to do what's right for you um but if you are gonna you know i think it's worth considering some exercise based that works for you for me that's crossfit because i can go early in the morning it's high intensity the coaching is really good so we get taught how to do all the movements properly to avoid injury. Um, and they really take time over, over getting that right. And, you know, I feel stronger, fitter and healthier for doing it. Um, and I haven't injured myself or, or come up with anything else worse from, from doing it. And I think that's partly because the coaches are good. Um, so I, you know, if you can find a good gym, I think it's a, it's, it's a really good option. Um, you'll realize that you're way stronger than you thought you were, which is always good for your mental health. Um, and, you know, it, it's enjoyable as well. Um, the other thing that I do, and um, you kind of encouraged me to get into this this time last year because you were planning to do a, a charity event and we were talking about it, and um, it's ice baths. Um, now, again, super extreme, but I always find when people are like, have you tried meditation? I'm like, yes, I've tried meditation and I cannot sit still for the life of me. I can't sit still and empty my mind and, and just focus on my breathing. I really enjoy ice baths because they force me to focus on my breathing and I get the benefit of meditation out of doing them. Um, there's, you know, there's some good science behind, behind it. Um, if you want to go and research it, then do. Um, obviously with ice baths and again with CrossFit, um, both of mine tend to be things that I would encourage you to do under the supervision of somebody who knows what they're doing um, and, you know, properly researching it and, and properly getting your head around, which again can be really good for your mental health, right? Um, is is focusing on something and learning about something as well. So even if you decide, oh, I'm not going to do it, I would definitely recommend going and watching it. And if you're not going to do anything else on ice baths other than watch um, Freeze the Fear by Wim Hof, um, then, you know, you'll you'll get a good laugh out of it. Um, super funny, um, super funny documentary, um, and really heartwarming as well. So, if you're not going to get an ice bath, I'd recommend watching Freeze of Fear by Wim Hof, which I think is on BBC iPlayer. Again, other TV services are available. <laughs> Fair enough. Not the, the really good, really good points. I thoroughly enjoyed doing the ice bath challenge for cancer research. Properly out of my comfort zone. Um, my family mm. turned around and went, "Why would you do this?" And I'm like, "Well, I've done ten k's." I've done swims, I've done uh, cycles, I've done all sorts for charity. I want mm -hmm. something that um, is going to be a challenge. That's the idea, right? Ice bath challenge. Yeah. And let's just remember that you did it in like the middle of February. Yeah, it was cold. I didn't order my ice bath until like April. Yeah. So I haven't actually done like a proper cold ice bath. Yeah, in, until you're you smashing it. the ice off the top of your ice bath, you haven't done a proper one. Well, to me, I have I, go on. I have upgraded to some pool sanitizer though to try and make the water last a bit longer. That's good. I I were having to empty it pretty frequently. The lids that you get with ice baths, and I'm I'm not going to call out the companies; they know who they are. The lids <laughs> that you get with ice baths are pretty dreadful. Yeah, unless you go and spend like half a grand or or, or whatever on a a pro version. A pro version. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. no, that that's really good advice. Uh, the two things that work for you and the two things that work for me. Um, I don't think we need to say anything else really on the subject other than a little bit of signposting. Yeah. So if you are struggling and you do need to reach out, uh, there's charities available for you. There's Mind, there's Samaritans, there's the Campaign Against Living Miserably. If you're in Wales, mm -hmm. you can contact Call, And if you're under 25, you can contact The Mix. 
all of their information is available on the internet and please reach out if you do need help please reach out the final final real part to discuss on this is what can employers do you know we talked i sort of talked earlier about that um the director where i had the conversation and and we we were both at that point kind of at a loss of like well how do we do this um and after that i spent some time doing some research um, and I think IOSH recently posted, I think it was maybe this time last year or like maybe a little bit earlier, IOSH posted an article on this model, which is the SCARF model. And how can, it, essentially something like how to use a SCARF to increase mental well-being. And SCARF is a model that stands for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. And without going into too much detail, it's a model that's been developed by a guy called David Rock. Um, it's based on neuroscience so it's a scientific model which i really like i much prefer when we're talking well to be honest when we talk about anything safety to be able to talk about something that's based in science and based on fact and 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 research that's that's my preference it's the way that i'm wired i'm sure that there are other people who work differently and that's good but for me i really like it because it's science-based and when we're talking about the brain i think it's really important that we are based in science and if we're going to be based in science when we talk about the brain what better kind of science than neuroscience <laughs> so yeah it's a neuroscience model so if i say status to you what's let's do some word association we're on we're on uh we're on mental well-being week so status word association what's yeah, the first word um your... hierarchy is the first thing that comes to mind where am i situated on that hierarchy I need to know where I am. I need to know who's above me. I need to know who's below me. If there are people above and below me mm -hmm. so that I can gauge what's expected, when's it going to be expected mm -hmm. by and who's responsible for what. Mm -hmm. So I guess an, a question to ask then is, and it is, it is a lot to do with hierarchy, you know, I mean, it, it literally is our relative importance to others. How do you increase somebody's, positive feelings of their status in an organization without necessarily giving them a promotion because a lot of people will hear that and go well i can't promote everybody to ceo we can only have one ceo yeah yeah and it normally is closely followed by so you're after more pay then where no that isn't the case what i'm after is a status that reflects my position in the company the role that i'm doing the the mm -hmm. activities that i'm undertaking i want my mm -hmm. status to match that so that's mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. that managers can do. They can look at their mm -hmm. team members and say, are these employees in the correct status? Do they have the correct status to match what we're asking them to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a really interesting one as well there in terms of re relative importance to others. So one of the things that often gets thrown around and um, it would have been I, I could do a whole loath on LinkedIn on this, um, which is where a manager's job is to protect their team. Well, it, it is, but if you're a manager, you need to understand your team's relative importance to the other areas of the team yep. and integrate. Yep. And I think a lot of it is, it's about the relativity of each group to another. Yep. Um, so one of the, that sounds really, okay, that sounds really ethereal. One of the things that, um, I was really encouraged to do during my apprenticeship with HS2, which was um, was which is why I'm now in the career that I'm now, is to go and speak to people in other departments and understand their job role and find out about them. Because yep. I, I actually, going into that apprenticeship, I knew a bit about health and safety, but the real core part of my learning was going into other departments like our commercial team and going, right, explain contracts to me. Okay, now I understand the relative importance of safety with commercial Correct. and I understand how that we work together yeah. and I understand our status as a team. Yeah. yeah. But, but the, the point that you're making, yeah, absolutely spot on. It's not just the status of you in your team. It's the status of your team in the company. Then it's the status of your company in the industry. And mm -hmm. then it's the status mm -hmm. of your industry against other industries. Yeah. So one of the things that employers can do to do that is is similarly to challenge their employees, set objectives every year and say, right, what we want you to do this year, and we're going to set time aside for you to do this. It's not, you know, it's not, you don't have to do it as an add on to your job. We consider it as part of your job is we want you to go and spend a day a month working with somebody else. 
and and shadowing them in their role and understanding what their job is and then working with them over the course of this year to understand how your position relates to theirs and and that's super simple and that's good for so many reasons um because it it also helps people learn which is really good for their well-being it also helps people feel connected to the wider organization connectedness is so important it's all this stuff comes from status and it's it's finding creative simple ways to get people to connect and understand their relative importance to the rest of their organization that that blends in to the c in scarf the certainty so the ability to control your future you're going to have more certainty if you understand that status or Mm -hmm. you understand what somebody else is doing Mm -hmm. you you're no longer silo working you're working together as an organization so yeah I, i like the fact that that not only kicks off the s but it moves into the c yeah. And this is all neurological. Okay. So this is the point of David Rock's model is this isn't, he's not, he's not just gone, oh, what, what the five things I think are really important. Well, I think people should, he's literally gone away and done the neuroscience. So when you feel a sense of status, it, you don't need to be the boss. People don't all need to be the boss. And actually one of the worst things we can do is encourage people that that's the goal. That doesn't need to be the goal. So again, that's a status thing. Certainty again, what, what do people want from their future? And actually, it's their ability to predict the future. Um, it's, I know what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Yep. Um, I know what's going to happen in the next 24 months. It's not necessarily, I know what's going to happen in the next 10 years. But when you're, particularly when you're managing change in an organization, it's about giving people information upfront and not hiding stuff until you've got um you've got the absolute perfect example to stop those people being upset yeah so and i'm not talking necessarily just about organizational change i can be talking something as simple as bringing in a new piece of equipment or an or a, a new software that you know some people um one of the things is you and i struggle with all the time is when we try and move people away from using excel for for a particular thing yeah. and they get really upset really quickly <laughs> because they're really used to using excel but now we're taking them away from Excel when it's a change. So certainty in that thing is, you know, oh, well, you know, what in the future, they start to predict all these scenarios that could be happening. Like, well, what's this going to happen? And what if this is going to happen? And this person might do this. And if I've, I've done, always done it in this way and it works. Yeah. So now you're saying doing it in this way. And blah, blah. okay, so how can you give that person certainty? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes about training, right? Yeah, could be. Um, except when you're managing actual change in organizations, and resilience training has its place. And I'm not going to go on a rant, <laughs> but resilience training is not a way to give people certainty. No. It's actually not a way to give people psychological safety full stop. Um, and that's my personal opinion. Yeah. No, I attended a webinar <laughs> earlier on this week that was talking about mental toughness. <clears throat> and I was thinking, okay, I can kind of see where you're coming from. However, why are you focusing on people being tougher rather mm-hmm. than focusing on the systems that are demanding they're tougher in order for them not to be broken mm-hmm. but like you said we're not going to go on a rant about that um, no. the certainty thing i mean everything everything requires certainty in order for people to to feel safe mm-hmm. um maslow's hierarchy of human needs mm-hmm. that that yeah. factors into this hugely if you are concerned that you're not going to have a job in 12 months because your contract renewal has lapsed or people aren't having that conversation with you about where your organization's going that brings mm-hmm. an uncertainty and when that uncertainty is there you then talk to other people that are uncertain and what mm-hmm. the humans do really well they both come up with a worst case scenario then convince each other that that's going to happen yeah exactly and suddenly everybody's just in a space of imagining worst case scenario. Yeah. And actually, again, that comes down to that, just clarity. I think clarity and communication is really important. Yeah. But also, you know, it's a tough one. It is a tough one. I think autonomy is another one that's really important to cover off, um, which is our sense of control, because it kind of feeds in. It does. I think people feel more certain over the future when they have an element of control over that future, yeah. um, which is why a lot of the time in going to organizational change if people 
are offered voluntary redundancy, you often see people that you would have thought, well, they they're really good at their job. Um, and, you know, if they were to go through this process, they're likely to be one of the people that would keep it mm. going for VR. And a lot of that is because that they're that's the sense of they have control, control over yeah. that event. Yeah. Um they have a choice over that. Um and that's something that they can action. So a lot of people will choose VR um over whatever. Yeah, like you said, it's just that sense of control. But it's like that with everything. How many people do you see driving Teams meetings that they were an attendee, not a host? Yeah. And it's just mm-hmm. that that control, that wanting to I want to drive this because I need control of the situation. Yeah. And it's that's that can sometimes be a real challenge, right? Is how do you how do you work in a meeting where somebody's trying to take over control because they want to control the whole thing? Whereas and and that's a different a different challenge. And that, you know, that's again, that's mostly to do with relationships and building relationship with people and getting to know them because there might be an element of anxiety under that. There might be an element of I need to control this because I'm anxious. Um, there might also just be an element that that's that person's personality and you're just going to have to find a way to to manage being around that person or, you know, potentially look at other options. But our sense of control over events in terms of psychological safety is a lot about giving people options, giving people objectives rather than task lists yeah. is a really good way of doing yeah. it. So when we say, um, and, and we talk a lot, a lot about this when we're doing our CDM work, when we're trying to advise clients or designers in their relationship with contractors. Um, set the objectives of what you want rather than don't, you know, you don't want to set like, you want to have enough detail in there that they know what they need to do. But where you see a lot of autonomy being pulled away is where, whether it's clients, whether it's line managers, or whether it's people in a relationship, this is another thing as well, it's just the way that you relate with other human beings is when you start to go, I want you to do X, Y, Z in this order to this letter, and it has to be done. Da, 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 da. Sometimes that's helpful. And sometimes people need that. But one of the ways that you can give autonomy to people, and um, this is my preferred method of working is to say, here's the objective. This is what I need you to 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 put out. Um, I want a pink box with fluffy rims around it. And uh, you you tell me how you're going to make that pink box, um, and w- we can have a chat about it. But I'm not going to sit here and say, "Here's the template, and you need to cut it out like this." And da 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 da. And if you don't do it like that, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Because um, it stifles creativity as well. I think one of the things that we need to do as a as a culture, and it's something I've been encouraged to do a lot, though, is define problems better. I think a lot of the time we don't understand the problem we want solving. So it becomes a lot harder to set an objective. So like, well, I don't actually know what I want you to do. So just do this. And then it's like, oh, well, actually, that's not what I wanted. So now I'm annoyed because you haven't read my mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or we didn't understand <laughs> the problem to start off with. Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing. Um, relatedness how safe we feel with others this is a big one that i've had to learn mm. um yeah i don't know what your what your thoughts are on it um before i jump into to kind of one of the things that i've really really had to work on because i've understood i've sort of had gone on a bit of a personal journey with yeah it. um i think this is a big one and i think me personally the teams that i've worked in previously i've i've probably landed really lucky because I've either been put in a team of similarly like-minded people. So mm-hmm. we, we've kind of got on because we, we, we tend to think alike. We like the same things, etc. I've recently been put in a team where none of us are alike, but we're all good communicators. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of got that diversity of the group, which I, mm-hmm. I absolutely love. I explained to my previous line manager that we we were kind of the epitome of rebel ideas by Matthew Syed. Mm-hmm. The reason that the team worked so well, we were effectively a bunch of misfits with different experiences, different agendas, different ideas, mm-hmm. but we were able to lean on each other in order to achieve things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for me, the relatedness is kind of, it's always been there. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've yet worked in a team where I haven't felt that. 
Mm-hmm. And if I did work in a team where I didn't feel that, I wouldn't be hanging around for long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's how important that is. Mm. What about you? So I think that the big one for me, and I, this has come up a lot um, as I've spoken to other people, is my language at work. Like we work in construction, um, pretty used to swearing a lot. Um, <laughs> Although don't swear on the podcast, we got a 48 yeah, hour delay last time. Yeah, we did. I said, but I can't you remember can't, what I said. You can't repeat it. We'll get another no, 48 hour I, delay. I, I, I know, I know what I said, and it wasn't even rude at no, all. It but it, because I said it, it, Spotify wanted forty-eight hours to make sure that it wasn't really, really rude, yeah. um, and it wasn't in the end. It's all good. But um, yes, yeah, swearing at work um, has been a big thing, and you know, having worked particularly in uh, construction is very male-dominated. I think you know, there's no getting away from that. Um, and I think I've I've been challenged by a couple of colleagues in the past who said, you know. Dan, I really like you, but sometimes your your potty mouth, um, you know, it, it can it can change the dynamic in the room. Yeah. Um, and I've had had other situations where, um, not me, but I've been stood with, and trying to explain to other people why they shouldn't be saying some of the stuff that they're saying or why it's not appropriate. They go, oh, you know, well, it's not hurting anybody, and it's like nobody it doesn't make other people in the room feel safe, yeah. and and that's like extreme example so swearing or like some of the some of the other stuff that's that's not great and i think particularly in construction we need to stop using the excuse that it's construction and we're okay to or swear that it's not hurting anyone because or the person that anybody. it could be hurting are unlikely to speak up in that forum yeah and i think so that's just something that i've gone on a journey with and i'm really consciously now trying to think do you know what i don't need to swear in this environment um it, it doesn't add anything to these people it doesn't add anything to me and it it doesn't make me come across as a safe person and actually i want people to feel safe around me i'm a safety professional people should feel safe around me that that that's thing so that's one of the things but um a lot of the time like you see this play out in how can you make people feel safe and it's kind of that rebel ideas thing so if you're in a room with people who have different ideas you're maybe in a room with, with 10 people and four of them are talking and actually, you, take a second. Are those four people all saying the same thing, just in a different way? Yeah. And actually, why is that fifth person not saying anything? Yeah. And it might be because those four people are dominating the yeah. conversation. Yeah. It might be. And it's like things like your tone of voice. And people are going, oh, you know, this is making me. But honestly, like, nobody's perfect, right? But one of the things that we can do is stop dropping the F-bomb. Not dropping the F-bomb in a sentence, from my experience, can and I'm I'm on a journey with this and I don't get it perfect. So I'm sure there are people at work who are like, Dan, I literally heard you swear today. <laughs> um, but what I've realized is that it doesn't make people feel safe if I'm doing it all the time, or even if I'm doing it at all. So I'm trying, and please have grace with me if you work with me. I'm trying to swear less. Um, and I have been for the last year. And we used to have a swear jar when Anthony worked in the team, but he's left me. So yep. um yeah. So the last one in scarf is fairness. So that's how we perceive the exchanges between other people. I mean, I'm just going to say this out really quickly. There's one thing that all employees can do, all employers can do. Have you got an ethics policy? Have you written down what it means to treat people fairly in your organization? Have you made sure that if people are one-upping each other because they're being able to take particularly in construction i think we need to be honest about this and i think anybody who turns around says says otherwise when it is construction and um that's not an excuse but it's well known of being an industry that is you will frequently see brown paper envelopes passed under the table sometimes literally um i haven't personally ever seen an actual brown envelope but i know i know plenty of people who have um the impact of that on people's well-being is huge. The impact of that on people's well-being is massive. And I think it's massively underestimated how much angst and anxiety can be caused by somebody who's witnessed something like that, who then feels that they have no protection to be able to speak up. Or for people who are unsure and the other side of it is for people who are unsure what the right thing to do is. 
So if you're going for a coffee with a supplier, is it okay for that supplier to buy you a coffee? Yeah, it's fine. You're not you're not going to go into a business meeting and say, right, can you give me that thirty-five billion pound contract? And the person go, no, I can't just give it to you. And then go, well, I bought you a coffee last week. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like that's that's not that's what it's going to be. So the other side of it is making sure that people know that actually you can be a human being and you can have a coffee with a supplier because they're just another human being and actually it's just a cup of coffee and let and and that's how you build relationships and build you know the stuff that we we're saying before in terms of status certainty autonomy and relatedness is, is being able to you know sit down and get to know people the problems come when you know we're talking more serious stuff so i think one of the biggest things that all organizations should take a look at on uh, and honestly, I challenge I challenge some organisations to go set your review date of this as Mental Health at Work Day. Do your review of your ethics policy on Mental Health at Work Day? Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. Your, your ethics policy should be the backbone. People used to think that was your health and safety policy. It isn't. Those people mm. are wrong. <laughs> it's your ethics policy. Because actually, your health and safety policy doesn't stand up if you if you don't have people in the business acting ethically. Mm -hmm. And how do you how do you define fairness? How do you well you define it with ethics? That's how you define fairness. So off our soapboxes. So everyone, that is the scarf model. There we go. So I think we're we're pretty much done. Um, Yep, Um, I did have a loved on LinkedIn this week, so I'm just going to squeeze that in. Um, the care and support that everybody is showing each other on my feed has been really refreshing. Not sure whether it's because it's been World Mental Health Day or whether everybody's yeah. just being super nice at the minute, but people that are open to work, other people going through redundancies, everybody seems really sportive and yeah, it's really good to see. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review. It helps us reach people that might be interested in the podcast. You can find us on Instagram and on X as Adams underscore Hayes. But if sending an email is more your thing, please feel free to message us at podcast at aahcs.co.uk. Feel free to get in contact with us if you've got any feedback, positive or negative, or you'd like to suggest a topic for one of our features. Thank you and goodbye for this week. We'll be back again soon with a news episode, hopefully. Um, And as we said, we've got an exciting guest coming up in the next couple of weeks as well, who we cannot wait to interview. Um, Until next time, though, stay safe, stay healthy and stay well.